Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Learner's Corner podcast. This is the podcast for lifelong learners where we learn from anything and everything. My name is Caleb Mason. Can we start calling me the T-Dog or something really ferocious? Never. I'm Todd, guys. And we have a great podcast episode for you today. We're going to be talking with Van Jensen, who is a comic book ambassador. And by the way, he also, oh, you may have heard of them. He's a creator for Green Lantern, as well as The Flash for DC Comics. He's also the author and creator of Pinocchio Vampire Slayer. And this is a very special episode for both Todd and I, because we love superheroes. And Todd and I have this ongoing debate of, I tend to believe that the Marvel movies are the best movies, and Todd has a tendency to believe that the DC movies are on par with the Marvel movies. Notice that he did not say, I think that they're better. I just think that they're wildly underrated because I feel like they're entertaining. And I'm just saying, I feel like Suicide Squad and Batman versus Superman were actually good movies that can be viewed again. So there, I've said it on a podcast that people are going to listen to. Are you happy now? You finally called me out on this. Yep. But just so we're clear, Marvel has the best superhero movies. Well, whatever. Anyway, we're so excited to bring this conversation to you with Van Jensen, and we're going to jump into our conversation with him right now. Well, Van, we're so excited to have you on the Learner's Corner podcast today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. This is, uh, is going to be fun. Yeah, we're excited to talk with Van about something that um, we're passionate about and I think it's going to be um, just a great conversation that's comic books and kind of the world of like superheroes and stuff like that please tell me you've met a superhero <laughs> uh, a, a few a few yes <laughs> they are real and so just just as um, we get started you know you have a pretty unique uh, title of being a comic book ambassador so tell us like what that is you know, what do you do and how did that happen? Yeah, it um, it was a really random thing. I mean, I'd been writing for several years and I think I was working on The Flash and, and maybe Green Lantern Corps at the time that that came up. And it, it was really just like an email out of the blue that there was this guy with the State Department who um, asked me if I wanted to you know, do this sort of cultural ambassador position. Um, and I, you know, I was like, is this, is this real? This is, this can't be real. Um, but basically, you know, the, the state department, um, having these embassies all over the world, they, they want to do outreach both to, I mean, they do all kinds of stuff to, to help people in, in places around the world, um, but then also to kind of educate people about America. And comic books are this, you know, originally an American art form. So, and, and you know, it's like superheroes have this world, worldwide renown. So, um, so, yeah, so I initially I went to the country, Georgia. Um, and was there for like two weeks and worked with locals to create the first ever Georgian comic book and, um, worked with refugees and just kind of like going to meeting with kids. And, and really I tried just to, um, encourage them to tell stories and to, to work through their experiences through creating comics. Um, so we did that initial program and David Mack, the artist, uh, went as well. And then I got invited to go to Russia, um, I guess it was earlier this year. And it was, it was right sort of, uh, as things were, let's say very tense, uh, between the United States and Russia. And, uh, my wife and I also had a, a kid on the way. So, uh, I ended up Skyping into <laughs> to Russia. Um, and yeah, my wife was like, you can go just know that you're not coming back. It's like, oh, all right, good. Um, and then I'm going to go to Israel and it, um, the, the way that the funding worked out, it got delayed likely until next year. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of a big commitment each trip. So I'm with everything going on, I'm a little bit limited in how many of them I can do, but it's a really cool program. Yeah. I, I went to Israel a couple of years ago and it's a, it's a beautiful country. You'll enjoy it a lot. 
Yeah, I'm excited to go for sure. And yeah, the, the idea is to have, um, you know, groups of children who are um, Jewish, Muslim, and Christian all collaborating together to create comics, which I, I'm really excited to do that when, when we get to. Yeah. So tell us about what, what first got you interested in comics, you know, whether, whether, as a kid or as a teenager or maybe even as an adult. Um, I mean, I was one of those people, like, I I was reading comic books from, I mean, I was probably, like, three or four years old. Um, I remember I had a cousin who, I, I grew up out in the country, like, the middle of nowhere, so it was really hard to even find comics. But I had a cousin from the city who would come with just, like, a, a giant duffel bag full of comic books. And um, so through that, I got to know superhero comics and, like, Larry Hama's G.I. Joe. Um, and, and I would just sit there, like, I would read them and read them and read them until they fell apart. And then I would make my own comics. So, you, you know, I still have these drawings from when I was, you know, like four where I'm, <laughs> I'm making like, you know, X-Men comics and Ninja Turtle comics and all that stuff. Um, and I really, like, I wanted to be an artist and there are a lot of artists in my family. And I think I've, I've just always been a visual thinker. So comics really appealed to me because you know you're telling a story through visuals but um yeah i i don't know i mean i being so far away from the industry like i never met anyone who made comics i it didn't seem real like it seemed like this fantastical thing you know it's i always say it's like it may have been it may well have been uh like elves uh at the north pole making comics you know it's just like not real so i i never you know, never pursued it. And then I just happened to be working with an artist at a newspaper years and years later. And he was like, Hey, let's make a comic book together. And I said, sure, why not? So that became Pinocchio vampire slayer. And that kind of kicked off everything. How'd you get connected with DC? Um, it was really, I mean, like the way that you break into comics is you just have to make comic books. Like there's no, you know, no one cares like where you went to school or any anything like that. It's just like you have to have made something. So we did um, this series of Pinocchio Vampire Slayer books, and I had I'd gotten to be friends with some people in the industry through going to conventions and all that. And then I just, um, you know, I had a friend who who um, took some of my books and gave them to editors at at DC, and um, and he, you know. The an editor there was just like out of the blue one day just called me and you know was like hey do you want to write Green Lantern Corps um, and of course I said yes yes I would like to write Green Lantern Corps. So tell us you know is is there a difference between like writing a comic or a graphic novel and then like writing you know like you said for like a newspaper or like a book or something like that like what do you find to be the difference between the two? Um, I mean, really everything, everything is kind of its own animal. Um, cause yeah, I've, I've written, I've written journalistic stuff. I've written, you know, personal essays of, I've written prose. Um, I've written comics, I've written, um, screenplays and TV scripts. And the, like the, the only thing that's similar that carries over for all of them is storytelling. And I, I look at it like storytelling. Storytelling is a skill that's independent of writing. So you can, you know, you can do all kinds of writing that has no narrative quality whatsoever, right? So, um, so just because you're writing does not mean that you're telling a story, and and vice versa. So, so at the core of it, I kind of focus on, you know, everything that I write is a story. I think even the nonfiction that I write. I, I just inherently shape things as narratives. Um, so, so that, that is the same no matter what. Um, but then once it, it comes to sit down and, and, and to write, like for me, comics, I typically, I come up with a general sort of, this is what this issue is. And then I draw little thumbnails. Like I, I draw thumbnails, uh, for people that don't know, it's, it's, if you imagine basically like each page represented as a little inch high rectangle and you in, in you know, tiny, tiny with like stick figures, even sketch out what the page is going to look like. And, 
for me, um, you know, for comics, it's, it's so visual and it has to work visually. So even if I never show those to the artist to actually draw the issue out as I'm writing, it helps me to know that it's working, that everything is flowing. Um, and that it's, you know, it's going to come together as something that's an entertaining, uh, and kind of eye catching read. You kind of, you know, walk, you talked about it a little bit, walk, walk us through your process of like, like what it takes to create like one issue of a comic. Yeah. So, so basically, you know, say you're doing an ongoing series. So you, you know, you have like, you left off the last issue and, and you, you know, you typically plan out, I mean, on an ongoing at DC where you're doing a monthly series, like you might plan out 12 issues in advance. And, and that just looks like, I, I don't get too detailed. I kind of just have the major mile markers of like, you know, the flash does this and then, you know, this big thing happens and we know that this conflict is coming and this reveal is going to happen here. So you have, you have sort of a roadmap of where things are going to go. And what I do, I have this process of for each issue, I take, you know, the, the very quick bullet points of what I know is going to happen in that issue. And then I write it into like, say like four paragraphs, just a quick, like, to give me a sense of, you know, what the, what the con like the rise and flow of the conflict is going to be through the issue. Because to me, storytelling is all about, um, basically, um, managing tension. Like you want readers to be tense, like, Oh, flash is going to die. Oh no, no, no. Flash is going to live. No, wait, flash is totally going to die. Oh, flash didn't die. Cool. Like that's, that's the experience that you want readers to have, or if it's a, a film or a TV show, like you want viewers to experience that. Um, so, so what I do is I kind of chart out that, like that rise and flow of, of conflict of tension. And then once I have, you know, this like half a page long document, then I open up my script document, which is typically 20 pages. And I like select one sentence at a time and just paste it like each page I, I copy in one sentence of, you know, this is what happens on this page. This is what happens on this page. This is what happens on this page. And that's where, where I start to work with thumbnails of um, once I know what is going to actually happen on a page, then I start to think through the visuals. And only once I figure out visually how it flows, then I actually go back to panel by panel writing out the, you know, the panel description that goes to the artist of, you know, this is the setting, these are the characters, this is what they're doing, this is their emotional state, this is, you know, the background detail that's necessary, the action, all of that, and then add in, you know, dialogue and captions. Tell us about, like, the relationship, like, with the artist, because I'm, I'm sure, you know, there's, there's got to, maybe not all the time, but there's got to be a little bit of tension there at times because you know you have your vision of what you want the comic to look like and the artist has their vision and they're and you're yeah. you're writing it and you're telling the story and they're drawing the story so talk to us a little bit about that yeah i mean the comics when they're at their absolute best um is is a true collaboration mm -hmm. um they like they could not be what they are without the artist and writer working together in, in real unison. So my preferred way of working is that even like at the earliest stage where I'm outlining the, the whole arc of the story, that I actually bring, bring the artist into that process so that the artist and I are developing the story together because, you know, you get in that thing where you're like, oh, well, what about this? And then the other person says, oh, that's cool. But if we, you know, added this wrinkle on top of it, then it would be, you know, yeah. you just build on top of each other. And so, so if you, you know, if you have a, someone that you really connect with where you're able to do that, like, um, Dusty Higgins, I did Pinocchio Vampire Slayer with, like, we're working on our third project together now. And it's just like, it's the easiest thing ever. Like we talk through everything. We bounce ideas off of each other. There's like, you know, we're, we're both of us were comfortable to like throw stupid ideas out knowing that the other person will riff on it and, and make it better. Um, so it, it's a, it's a really great relationship. And then, um, 
yeah, we just like we we just talk through the whole process, even though we're you know we're not in the same city. Um, but we get on the phone, we email, we send stuff back and forth. Um, and then you know the like the, the worst case scenario is where it's very assembly line. Like I write a script, it goes to the editor, the editor notes it out, and then I revise it, and then it goes to the artist, and the artist draws it without me ever having any interaction with the artist. What you know whatsoever and then the issue comes back and like maybe it doesn't really resemble the script at all and i don't understand why <laughs> like if, if there was confusion or if the artist just decided to do their own thing um you know not not that this has ever happened to me it has um <laughs> but um and and then you actually like as a writer you have to go back and write a new script based on what is inside the art. Um, so it like that, and that's the thing where it's not to say that the, like the artist might've done, like made decisions to make things better, but there's no, like no one knows what the other person is doing. And I, unfortunately like the monthly schedule of, of comics and especially like Marvel and DC become very, you know, they just want to like, they kind of push creative teams together and you don't get that, that real collaboration. Talk to us, you know, you mentioned earlier about how in the comic you're always trying to build tension, you know, for the characters and everything like that. What are some of the things that you do in a comic or through writing to help build that tension? It's it's honestly it's just like forcing yourself to be really simple, I think, and to not overcomplicate things. And I think every young writer wants to create really complicated plots because the idea is that complication and um, intricacy, it, it it looks like sophistication, and you know people people see like Christopher Nolan movies, and they're like, oh, like I you know I can do that, um, and and to me, I I've really gotten to a place where I just push myself to focus on like, okay, I have a protagonist. What does the protagonist want? The protagonist wants something that is going to, you know, emotionally complete this character's journey. So the protagonist wants a thing that is a concrete thing, and there is something or someone that is standing in the way of whether the character gets that thing or doesn't get that thing. And you can have, you know, a, a very long arc of, you know, an ongoing comic book series of, say, like, you know, the, the Flash wants to figure out who killed his mom. So that's, that's his real, like, long-form art. But then in a single issue, you also just have, like, I don't know, like, I, I had a story where the Flash fought the Riddler, and it was just like, the Flash wants to keep the Riddler from taking over Central City. And, and so the, the conflict then is just like, does, does the Flash get what he wants? Does he not get what he wants? And and I even like I actually draw it out as as kind of a fever chart of like how the tension should rise through the course of the story that it's like, you know, you start out with a very low level of tension and then a complication, right? It's like, the you know, you start out as like Flash, Flash wants to stop the Riddler. Then something happens where the Riddler gets an advantage over the Flash, and it's like, oh, it looks like it looks like the Riddler is is going to defeat the Flash, and then the Flash, you know, like escapes, and then so the tension releases a little bit, but then you know the the Riddler does something else, and then all of a sudden the tension is cranked way up, and you just you know you just look at it and you like through through the course of a single issue, you really want. Um, three increases and decreases of tension and but every time the tension you know decreases it doesn't decrease that much and every time it increases it needs to increase even more like the stakes need to get a little bit bigger every time so i mean that's that's really it like it i you know it it sounds kind of easy and reductive probably but um I, I don't know. That's that, like that's where I'm at as a writer is just trying to trying to, you know, have simple stories but really complicated, interesting characters and settings. Yeah, and I even see that, you know, in reading most comics is you know because most most comics you know they'll usually tell like uh, a single story over you know five or six issues and then the issue typically ends with the tension being raised like 
like dramatically more or something yeah well yeah that that's a and that's a kind of standard um you know trick within tv i mean i i remember um i came really late to the show alias and i i watched a little bit of it and i felt like that was that was one of those shows where it it actually like that sort of rise and fall the the standard rise and fall of tension and it just like every episode ends at the highest moment of tension exactly and then the next episode begins with the resolution this huge resolution of tension and then it jacks it back up again so so yeah like that's you know that's definitely a good model to keep people on their toes how do you go about you know managing the tension between remaining true to like the history of the comics and you know trying to create your own story as well like i see that a ton in like the marvel comics right now um you know like with with thor there's a female thor right now in the Mm -hmm. comics and still trying to remain true to or like miles morales with spider-man you know how do you balance the tension between those two yeah, it's, I mean, the, the gig of superhero comics is basically these are characters that have been around for some of them literally 80 years, right? So monthly comics have been coming out for these characters for 80 years. So the gig is, the assignment is basically to write something that has never been done in the past 80 years of this character without actually really changing anything. Like, that's the kind of standard superhero gig. And it's tough. Like, it's a, it's a really tough gig. Um, you know, I, and I think also keeping in mind that comics used to be, like, a monthly comic used to be 30-plus pages. Oh, wow. And it's, it's 20 pages now. It is a full third shorter. And... Every issue, it's like you need to have at least one splash page in it. So it, um, it's just a very small amount of real estate, and people expect these really nuanced, deep stories that respect all of the history and maintain all of the history, but then also, do, you know, it's like, give me something that I've never seen before. And it, I mean, I just, I don't know what to say. It's a really tough gig. Like, it, it takes a lot of work. It's super stressful. Um, you know, you get a lot of attention online. Um, you get a lot of people who are unhappy with what you do. I mean, I've been pretty lucky in that I think people generally responded pretty well to the stuff I've written. But, you know, the the stuff about kind of changing and updating characters, I mean, I, I think... I guess I, there are two ways that, that I look at that I don't I don't think that are opposed, but I think they're actually you know very related. Like what fans ultimately want is fans want to feel like the the story reality is consistent and concrete. Like you want to feel like that that world that that Marvel universe is real. Right? Like, you want to be able to go into it and, and, like, believe in the characters and believe in the setting and believe that, like, it has some kind of solidity to it. And what's happened over the years is that, you know, really, I mean, for decades, like, going back to Crisis on Infinite Earths, like, the superhero companies, every few years they do these huge events, and every single event is about the very nature of reality itself falling apart and getting rebuilt. And when you do that again and again and again and again, it tells fans, like every time you do it, it's just like drawing attention to the fact that all of this, this, this world is not actually real. And then at the same time, when you change the characters again and again and again, and, and, you know, like swap out old characters and all of a sudden bring in new characters and relaunch books all the time and all of that, like it's more reminders that this, this reality is not actually real. And I think that, you know, I think that that more than anything is what fans respond to and, and what kind of becomes a negative for fans. It's it, like, I don't think that, I mean, there probably are, there certainly are. I mean, I've dealt with some, like there, there are fans out there that are sexist or racist who are just like, you know, it's like, I, I want my white male superhero, whatever. Um, I don't think that's most people. I think that most people just want 
the fictional world to feel real. Right. And and so to me, like I, I think absolutely like superhero comics need to be more diverse. Like they were created in an era where every heroic character needed to be white and most of them needed to be male. Like that that's just that that's of that era. Like you can look at any any media at that time and that that was that was the deal. Like absolutely this stuff needs to be more diverse. I'm just an advocate for trying to trying to add diversity to the books in a way that feels coherent and concrete within the fictional world. If that makes sense, because I, you know, I think that that's, that's ultimately just what, what fans want. How do you deal? You said that you haven't dealt with much, like a ton of criticism, but whenever you do get it, you know, how do you deal with that? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I had a stretch like really early on with DC where I was reading a lot of stuff online and I mean, we had like, so, you know, this is a kind of a continuation of, of the, uh, what we were just talking about, but like we introduced a biracial Wally West character in the, the new 52 continuity. And there was, there was a, um, on uh, on the White House website, you can file these petitions, and you know it's like public. You can you can go and file a petition about whatever, and if it gets enough signatures, supposedly the president is going to look at it. And you know, and this is while uh, Barack Obama is president. Someone who, of course, Barack Obama being a biracial president, someone wrote a petition to force DC Comics and to force the creative team to make Wally West white again. Um, <laughs> which it's you know, not like, funny, but it's funny. Yeah, I mean, stuff like that's like all I can do is laugh about it. Um, you know, mostly what I do every once in a while, you'll have someone, and I think it's just online, like people. And I'm I'm sure that there have been times when I was younger that I was guilty of it. But people online, it it's just like it becomes this mask where you can just do and say whatever and feel like there are no repercussions to it. And there's no human on the other side of it. So every once in a while, like you get someone who comes, comes to you and it's just, just awful. And my response to it, like, it, it doesn't bother me. I just, when someone comes to me, I, I always say, if you would like to have a conversation about this, I would be happy to talk to you. If you will try again without being rude. And that that's it. So it's like if if you want to be civil, we can talk. If you want to be an asshole, then well, I'll just you know block you on Twitter and forget that you exist. But yeah, like I'm I'm happy to talk to anybody as long as they can be polite. So how uh, kind of switching gears a little bit, you know, how do you weave like individual stories or you know like five or six issue story arc? arcs into like the overall like grand narrative of you know the flash or something like that you know you were talking about like with the riddler you know you have his three or four issues with the riddler and then you have the overall goal and direction that you're moving with for the flash you know how do how do you do that um when it it comes to that stuff and that's the the, like really you know like 30,000 foot view story stuff. I mean, some of it, it helps to really know like who the character is, what the character is all about. And then I think trying to figure out what, what the theme of the story is, like kind of at at the, like, you know, emotional, uh, I mean, like I could get deep into, um, I'm, a fan of Carl Jung. And, and so I, I like to kind of, you know, think like in the, the sort of primal subconscious sense, like what these characters are about, which is all stuff that like, you know, for the most part, doesn't manifest in any overt way on the page. Um, but I just like, I want to know what that character is about, like in a sense of the grand scope of, of humanity. Like what is it about these characters that makes them resonate? What's the inherent tragedy there? And to come up with some sort of thematic focus. Um, and so, 
So what you want to do is to like have have this grand sense of what the story is, and then have um, have basically the smaller arcs that like tie into little facets of that. So it's almost like you have this like giant idea and then you break off a component of it. And like, let me explore, like not try to tell the giant idea all at once, but, and, and I even like, when I think of themes for story arcs, I, I pit them as conflicts. So it's like this story arc might be about like faith versus doubt or uh, control versus chaos or something like that. So that there, again, there's that like conflict intention that's at the root of everything. So what, what are some of the things, you know, you talked about making your, keeping your story simple and making your characters more complex. What are the, some, some of the things that you do to develop like that complexity in characters? Um, it's, it's kind of just a lot of work. It's, um, I mean, it's it's trying to flesh out. Well, you know, there's the whole like, let me think of the biography of this character, and it's I don't I don't go into super exhaustive um, character biographies on the the back end, but I um you know what I try to do is have a good sense of who that character is, but also have a good sense of. I mean, I, I want every especially every lead character, um, I want them to have some kind of inherent brokenness to them you know i think every great character is tragic in some sense um and and so you know it kind of becomes a question of like what is what is the tragedy inside them and how does that manifest so so like pinocchio vampire slayer right like this ridiculous concept um it's it's just you know pinocchio lies his nose grows out he snaps it off. He has a wooden stake. Wooden stakes are really convenient for stabbing vampires. So it started literally as a like one panel gag cartoon that the artist did. And then it was like, Hey, let's make a book out of this. Um, so as we were thinking about it, how I approached that it was like, okay, so we're going to base it on the original Pinocchio fairy tale, which is much more of a like, Tom Sawyer kind of mm-hmm. bad, bad character. Like this, this kid's a jerk um, and really irresponsible. And, and really like, that's the whole point of the original Pinocchio story is that children are awful. Um, so, um, so from there, I like the, the story starts out with Geppetto has been killed by vampires and Pinocchio has figured out like he's, he's the, you know, the only one who can really, can really stop the vampires. So the story became about this, this puppet who's kind of like a miscreant adolescent who is super irresponsible, who all of a sudden figures out that the world is about to end and that he's the only one who can stop that. So that was the tension where it's like, it's a story about being forced to grow up very quickly and just wanting to have fun, but literally having the weight of the world on your shoulders all at once. And so kind of once I unlock that sort of thing for a character, like, okay, this is what this story is about in this grand sense. You know, it's a story about responsibility. Um, Then I just, try to make sure that every situation has something to say about that and that every decision that the character makes is a manifestation of, you know, whatever, whatever that sort of push and pull divide is within them. Do you remember how you went about discovering, you know, what Pinocchio Vampire Slayer was like, what it was about and how it was, you know, realizing, Hey, you know, that being, being forced to grow up quickly and stuff like that. I'm trying to think. I mean, I wrote that originally in 2008, so um, it's, it's been a while, uh, which is surprising how long it's been. But um, I mean, I, I think that it's kind of just like the, the best skill that you can have as a writer. And I mean, I'm just going to say that one of the best things that you can try to develop as a human being is empathy. And and that is to really 
put yourself into someone else's experience and, and to try to feel what it would feel like to be someone else. And so, you know, it was just like, as Dusty and I, the artist and I were kicking around this story idea, um, I, I can't even remember which one of us came up with the idea that Geppetto was, had been killed. Um, but we like, we crafted this scene of like, this is where Geppetto gets killed. This is where it happens. And so once we had that scene, I mean, I kind of just tried to imagine that from the character's perspective of like, if this happens, you know, how, like, how, how does that, like, how, how does this character process that tragedy? Um, and, and it really, um, I, I mean, I think for every character, it's like, I, I, you know, just come up with some stuff and get to where I feel like there's enough, there's enough like actual story there that then I can almost like go into that character's shoes for a little bit. Uh, which I know is really like this is this is literally all the stuff that exists in my head. So I'm talking about like this, <laughs> you know, like mentally and physically occupying the space of characters that exist solely inside me. So, um, you know, I don't I don't know what that says about my mental state. No, I think that's and that's a that's a huge thing that we've um, heard throughout the whole throughout our podcast. Just the idea of empathy. And I think that's how you tell great stories is empathize with even if they're made of characters because they they uh often portray real life things yeah 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 absolutely i mean i i think that stories resonate with people because you know like these are aspects of life that we all go through and we all recognize and and that's what you want like you tell stories in order to try to connect with people to try to you know in some weird way make the world a better place and so they should be relatable yeah. what do you think it is about you know that the tragic flaw in a hero that makes us like the hero so much more because the audience it, it, i mean it's two things the audience has something to emotionally connect with and the audience has a want for the character right like you want that that character to achieve something um and a, a character who's like a hundred percent happy and complete, like there's there's nothing there's no yearning there. Um, so like the the story that I always tell when I teach about writing, um, do you guys know the movie Up? Yep. Yeah, yeah. So the the Pixar movie. Um, so by random coincidence, I got to watch an early um, screening of some footage for it before it come out. And it, it picked up with the little, the Boy Scout showing up on the, the old guy's doorstep. And then just like immediately goes into that, you know, that like conflict with them and then the house floating away. And then there were little clips of like, you know, the, the stuff in the jungle and, and all that. And we walked away from it. And I was like, this is the first horrifically bad movie that Pixar's made. Like, this is, this is, this is awful. That was one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. It was just like this cranky old guy, and there's like talking dogs and the stupid bird, and it's just like Pratt Falls, and it is that, that was so dumb. <laughs> and so, like I, you know, I just wrote off. I was like, man, like I, I, I thought Pixar like couldn't fail, but boy. So, so then of course the movie comes out, right? And everyone's like, oh, this is so great! Like Up is so amazing. Up is, you know, it's oh, like it, it, it was so like heartwarming and touching and whatever. I was just like, I, I don't get it. Like, what, what are, what, you know, what's going on with people that people are connecting to this, this just dog of a movie. Um, so, so my wife and I watched it. And the thing that comes up immediately is the montage of this guy's relationship and his marriage and his life and his wife's death, and the tragedy of that and the tragedy of never pursuing his dreams. And we're sitting on the couch and we're crying. And then we watched the exact same stuff that we had seen before. And it was like, oh, this is so great. Oh, God, I need to get him to go see the waterfall. Like, you know, it, was, it is all that stuff. Like, we were, we were completely in on it. And we were in on it because, like, we understand that guy. We understand the part of him that is broken. And we, we see this thing out there 
then we'll complete him. And we want that for him. And like that, that's it. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Like to to me, that was the point where it was like, I yeah, watching, I was like, oh, okay, I get what this is. Yeah. What makes a good villain? I mean, same exact thing as a protagonist. Really, like, um, you know, I'm I'm a big believer in archetypes. So so there are different you know character archetypes, different story archetypes. So if you look at a a tragedy, the the sort of tragic story archetype, it is a direct inversion. Like in terms of the flow of the tension, in terms of the character arc, it is like if if you literally like chart out the sort of like tension rise and fall of a tragic story arc, it is exactly like a heroic story arc, just inverted. And so. So to me, like what I do with villains is I I try to just create a tragic hero story arc. And then it's just a question of, you know, like if that story was told from the villain's perspective, the villain would be the protagonist and it would be a tragedy. But because it's told from the hero's perspective, it's, you know, it's a, a heroic story arc. But I mean, beyond that, like, you know, I think understanding sort of the overall aesthetic of the piece, understanding the tone of it, giving, I mean, you want, you want villains to have, I mean, just like every character, like you want, you want villains to have little ticks to them and just little, it's like the more that you humanize them, the more that it actually, I think, makes them kind of scarier. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just that work of like trying to trying to make someone who seems well rounded and and not like not flawless. One like of the there's villains, one of the villains I think of oftentimes is, is the Riddler. Um, yeah, legitimately, that could be a real person. Yeah, like of all, like of I, you could correct me on this, but of all of like the DC villains. The Riddler is probably the one that some dude legitimately could do. I mean, you oh, can yeah. become that guy. Like, no, I mean, the, the Riddler, like, if you look at, like, um, like BTK, the, the killer in Wichita, Kansas, or the Zodiac Killer, like, I mean, those, those guys are serial killers, which is not what the Riddler was. Right. But, but that, that's what those— that's what they were doing. Like they were sending in notes that are puzzles um, that are, you know, begging for someone to try to, to solve them because it's all about like, I think I'm smarter than you. And that's why for me, I love seeing a villain. I love seeing a hero do this too, but in particular the, the, the villain, I like to think that I could be that person in a weird way for, for, for heroes. Or, or for no, villain. for the villain. Like I like to think, <laughs> I like to think, man, I legitimately could go and do that because that is as close as I ever get to doing something bad. Todd, we might need to rethink about uh, us hosting this podcast together. It's fine. <laughs> I, I'm just gonna imagine, you know, you reading like a comic with Killer Croc in it and being like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I could, yeah, I could, I, I could live in, I could live in the sewer and like randomly pop up and throw automobiles around. Or um or uh oh he's the name just uh really Loki Loki like I could be an alien <laughs> I could be an alien hey on Mars I'd be an alien that is true yeah that deep thoughts <laughs> deep deep thoughts man what are some of the things that you do to humanize like villains or humanize your characters. Um, gosh, I don't, I don't know that I have any, um, any like specific trick. I mean, it kind of, so much of it is, is contextual. Um, I mean, I, 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 what I try to do is think about like the, you know, the villain, just like the hero, like the villain has a big want, you know, something that they need that they're trying to pursue. And and kind of what you like, you want to show that they 
like manifest frustration in in unique ways. Um, but I think also like one of the, one of the really easy things. I mean, every you know, all of us, all of us as humans, like we have stuff that we're really into, and uh, you know, like hobbies or interests that are kind of surprising. Um, and you know, like Todd likes to read comic books and imagine that he's villains. Like that, that's an interesting. It's fine. <laughs> um, and you know, for me, like I'm obsessively into basketball, like even more than than comic books. Um, you know, people collect different things. Like people have these weird things about them. And so, you know, if you think about that, like there there are people that you meet, and it's like, oh, like I remember that guy because he has this insane stamp collection, or you know, whatever whatever it is. And and so I just try to give. You know, like you want characters to have that thing where it's like, oh, like you know that that's really weird and kind of random, but like it it fits in a sense with with who that you know what that character is all about. I guess. What are some of the biggest lessons you've learned while like writing comics or like reading comics? Uh, oh, geez, I mean. You know, I I didn't go to school for for writing. Period. I studied journalism. Uh, went into newspapers. Um, so I mean, I, I've had in terms of my formal education, like I had one undergrad class on fiction writing, and that's it. So I didn't know anything really. So. Yeah, I can't. I can't even begin. Like I, um, I just had to, you know, just had to really teach myself so much about, I don't know, how to control tempo, how to communicate with artists, how to use the language in the script to um, convey the feel of the script that I want, how to make sure that characters actually interact with their environment, how to write dialogue that feels believable while being incredibly condensed um i mean just all of this stuff um and and you just i'm I'm a big believer that like you start out at sucking at kind of any skill right like we all as human beings like we're born sucking at everything like we're we're, babies are terrible babies are just useless um having had kids now Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's like kids can't sit up, right? Like babies cannot sit up. And then they just like, they try and they try and they try for months and months and months and months. And then finally they do. And it's like, you just have to like try at stuff and apply knowledge and, and work at it. And I'm, and so, I mean, that's kind of my ethos. Like I'm a very blue collar writer, I guess, which probably comes from growing up on a farm. Like I I don't believe in genius really. I'm just going to work at it, but I mean, I've also like I've had the benefit of working with a lot of really talented people and great editors who've imparted a lot of incredible knowledge. And then, yeah, like I I tend to read. um, You know, I don't I don't keep up with like every superhero comic. I tend to read stuff by creators that I really respect. And a lot of it's just, um, you know, it's like you see something that's cool. And you just ask, like, oh, like, why, why did that strike me so much? Like, why did that work so well? What did that, what did that creator do in that moment that, that made that work? And how do I, you know, how do I apply it? And so it's like, I mean, it's almost like you kind of have to just, like, always be looking for arrows to put in your quiver, if that makes sense. At the risk of making an arrow. An arrow. <laughs> Yes. Van, if people want to, you know, learn more from you or follow you, you know, how can they do that? Um, I, I generally keep a, a fairly low profile. Um, but the, the best places, I guess, on Twitter, uh, it's Van, V-A-N underscore Jensen, J-E-N-S-E-N. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Caleb, what was your big takeaway from that interview with Van? I think one of the big things was, you know, whenever he was talking about, you know, what makes a good villain. And really, the thing that makes a good villain is 
kind of similar to what makes a good hero. They go through, you know, kind of a similar situation or a tragic situation, but they just respond completely differently. And really just finding out about, you know, their true their flaws that, you know, maybe they're they're not quite as bad as you thought they were, you start to understand why they do what they do. Yeah, I think that uh, the interesting thing for me was it, it, um, he talked about two the, the, the heroes, and, and it what you're correct. It was so similar. It's just it was just a mind shift, and I and I relate that into I guess how in in, in the world we're only a few steps away from actually being uh, being a villain. So the as I was listening to him talk about that, I realized how interesting. It is as you get into the mind of a creative creating these characters and how close it is um, as we think about villains and heroes. Uh, so interesting. And also, Pinocchio Vampire Slayer. Like, what is that? That is awesome. So if you enjoyed our episode today, make sure that you don't miss our next episode. And the best way to make sure that you don't miss our next episode is by subscribing to our podcast on whatever podcast player you use. And also, if you enjoyed this episode or if you enjoy our podcast or if you learned something from it, you know, leave us a rating or write a review of the podcast on your podcast player. You know, whether it's Stitcher or Google Play or iTunes or whatever one that you use, leave us a rating and write us a review. Just do it like Nike. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Learner's Corner. Hit us up on social media, on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, and let us know what you're reading, learning, listening to. And let us know some of the stuff and how you're growing yourself as well. Until next time, keep learning and keep growing. Deuces, y'all.